greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Slickster was going to do, your lordship. Slick was up on that apron. Hogan looking very, very sharp and alert. And I'm afraid this is all happening after the match, so no matter what happens. Oh, oh, right over the top. oh my word. Oh, that huge mammoth coming out of the ring like that. Shoulder lifted right over the top and out of here, trying to get back in. Slickster, Slickster holding on. Preserve to his man there, I think. And the champ waving the belt in his face. Slickster, I don't know what he's doing, but I think he's trying to stop his man getting hurt. The result of this match 
is a draw as a result of a double countout. Hello and welcome to the Hogan Era Podcast. I'm your host, JP John Paz. This is, of course, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling feed on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. Each and every week here on the Hogan Era Podcast, we are focusing in 1984 to 1993, a.k.a. the golden era of the WWF, a.k.a. the Hogan era, a.k.a. the era that made Vince McMahon rich. Each and every week here on the show, we are breaking down a lot of the feuds, moments, and great matches in that Hogan era involving the immortal Hulk Hogan. This week is no different as we go back to the monster well yet again. Last week, we were talking about the monster known as Killer Khan. And this week, we're talking about One Man Gang slash Akeem. We'll be talking about both of those characters today. Obviously, both played infamously by Mr. George Gray. If you go back in the two-man power trip of wrestling archives, I have a great interview with One Man Gang. He's just an open book. He's such an easy guy to talk to, so fun-loving, such a nice guy. But then when you see him out there in the ring, you wouldn't think that. You would think, wow, this guy is a monster. 6'5", 400 pounds, scary as hell. How can Hogan beat this monster? Great gimmick, too, with One Man Gang. I love the Akeem gimmick as well. But to really kind of start it off, I think we got to start talking about the history of One Man Gang and kind of where he started off before he became a WWF superstar and before he started feuding with the immortal Hulk Hogan in 1987. So when he first really started his career, late 70s, he's kind of just coming up and, you know, he's doing the indie scene. He's working all over as far as ICW. He's working in Florida. He's working all different places before he kind of eventually gets his big break in Florida Championship Wrestling. Then he got a big, huge break in All Japan Pro Wrestling, where he was there for basically 83, some 84, some 86, feuding with Giant Baba, Tenru, Jumbo Saruta. He was teaming with Bruiser Brody, Killer Tim Brooks, Stan Hansen. So he definitely had a definite big name out there and was really making a name for himself. Also teamed with Jerry Blackwell, Harley Race, Tiger Jeet Singh, all the big stars of the era. That's kind of where you know you're kind of making it when you're teaming with these guys and you're feuding with these guys that are legends and that are just huge draws over there in Japan. If you can draw in Japan, more than likely you can draw here at the States. I know a bunch of wrestlers that I talked to, a lot of old school guys say, hey, if you can draw here, you can draw anywhere. It's just a matter of adapting and kind of knowing where you're at and knowing you know, who your audience is and you know, changing it up a little bit, but just being adaptable and being able to know your limitations, but also know what you bring to the table. So I kind of like that philosophy. You can draw there, you can draw here. For instance, let's just say like AJ Styles. Well, he's a big draw for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Vince sees that and is like, well, you know, he was on a much smaller scale in TNA, but hey, I see him in a much larger scale in, in New Japan being a huge draw. So let's bring him in, let's give him a try, and let's give him a big push. And that's exactly what happened. So Drew in one place, got noticed by Vince, and obviously he drew for the WWF or WWE. So really with One Man Gang, it's almost the same thing, but it's like, okay, he made his name for himself in All Japan, really made a big name for himself in Mid-South and World Class Championship Wrestling. If you remember, he was a part of Devastation Inc., Skandar Akbar's group in World Class. He was also managed by Gary Hart at one point. He had a big feud 
with the Von Erichs. He was teaming with Rick Rude at one point. A lot of singles matches and single feuds with Kerry Von Erich, Iceman King Parsons, Chris Adams, Bruiser Brody. Um, remember the hair versus hair match against Kerry Von Erich at the Parade of Champions in 1985. He also had a big feud with Brody, the big chain match at, at Christmas Star Wars 1985. He had the big cage matches with Brody. So, I mean, very, very memorable stuff where you can say, wow, he drew here, he drew there, he drew, drew everywhere. So, really, in Mid-South is kind of where he had the bulk of his runs before going to the WWF. He was, of course, a protege of Skander Akbar, like I mentioned, with World Class. He kind of really made it a big name for himself all over the place, besides just New, uh, Mid-South, Florida, Toronto, Japan, Texas. He really was just making uh, know, like a, um, a really great reputation for himself where he's this monster. He's this big guy. He's got a great gimmick. He's got a great look. He's going to be a top heel. He's going to be a top quote-unquote heel, really, but he's going to be a top villain of the era. He had a big feud in UWF Mid-South with Jim Duggan that I think got on everybody's radar. Had a big feud with Terry Gordy, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Really uh, was the world champ there for, for a period of time. Feuded with Ted DiBiase as well. I think this is really when he gets a big-time notice from the WWF. So Crockett is going to purchase UWF, but you know they're going to take some guys of their own. But Vince is going to cherry-pick some guys as well. And one-man gang was definitely one of those guys that he was like, I got my eye on this guy. I could do a lot with this guy. I think that he's a huge star. I can make a lot of money with him. So One Man Gang makes his debut in the WBF May 12th, 1987, managed by Slick, wrestled a jobber Jesse Cortez and defeated him. The next day, he defeats very well-known jobber Mario Mancini, and he's kind of going to go on one of those undefeated runs through the enhancement talent. You know, short matches, build them up. He's going to destroy everybody. He's going to use the gourd buster. He's going to pay no attention to the rules. He's going to get fined. He's going to do all these different things. But it's going to be one of those things where, okay, he's just going to go through the mid card, going to go through the lower card, and slowly but surely get matches against Hogan and Savage, the two big stars of the era. So a major angle takes place with him and revolving the legendary superstar Billy Graham being forced into retirement. One man gang, of course, participated in the first ever Survivor Series pay-per-view, and he was a part of the main event, a part of Andre the Giants team, of course, fighting a team led by the immortal Hulk Hogan. In 1988, the one man gang entered the inaugural Royal Rumble, and he was the final two participants in the ring. Of course, was eliminated by the eventual winner, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you remember, One Man Gang was in the big WWF World Title Tournament at WrestleMania 4 for the vacated WWE World Heavyweight Championship. In the first round, he defeats Bam Bam Bigelow by countout. He drew he drew a bye in the quarterfinals before finally being disqualified in the semifinals against the eventual tournament millionaire, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Gang attempted to use Slick's cane, if you remember, to hit Savage, caught by the ref, and he is then done and done with the tournament. But pretty strong loss, not really losing clean per se to the Macho Man, the DQ, definitely keeps him strong. Really, though, as you go through the year, it's kind of on the lower card, really feuding with Bam Bam, Coco, Morocco, or the mid card, you could say. Not really, you know, push to the moon, but in the midst of all that, and while all that's going around, Hulk Hogan is really going to kind of come into play here and be a big time feud 
for one man gang like we talked about last week with killer khan and then bad news brown this is really going to be primarily one of those feuds where it's a house show feud this was huge then this is where wwf made all their money cannot stress that enough cannot stress how important it is to have these house show matches have these house show feuds and to have them draw and to have them have a level of importance because while hogan and andre are still feuding they're not going to be main eventing the house shows. They're going to save Andre. They're going to save these matches. Hogan Andre was mo- mainly saved for the big shows and the big pay-per-views, and they're creating just all these different shows and all these different platforms off of the Hogan Andre feud. But how do you keep Hogan going strong? How do you keep him at the top of his game? And how do you keep him drawing while not necessarily feuding with Andre on the house shows? You got to get opponents like Bad News Brown, like a Terry Funk like a killer con and of course like one man gang so the first match 826 1987 was a dark match a part of wf superstars 19 uh excuse me 54 in fresno california hulk hogan defeats the one man gang they fight the next night in ventura california hogan wins again then this is one that i think a lot of people remember and a lot of people really put their eye on this show because one Man Gang was a huge star in Texas, like I mentioned, with World Class. And he was a big star down south in Mid-South. So when the Paul Bosch retirement show happens at the Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas, and Paul Bosch sells Houston Wrestling to WBF, and they are no longer a threat to Vince and that territory, this is a huge show. Really, the headliner is Hulk Hogan defeating One Man Gang with Slick, of course. In about 10 minutes, this is about 12,000 people are being attended in attendance here. It is a tape show. Interestingly enough, the commentators, Bruce Pritchard, Mike McGurk, and Pete Darty, the Duke of Dorchester there is, is on it. Interesting to note, Bruno San Martino and Hercules is on this card. And the main event, Mil Mascaris and Tito Santana with Jose Lothario defeat the demolition by DQ. So interesting card there, but that's a huge show where Hogan is defending the WWF title at the Paul Bosch retirement. That's huge. Then the next night in Baltimore, Maryland, I don't know if it quite get bigger than this as far as, man, one era tied to another. Hulk Hogan and Bruno Sammartino team up to defeat King Kong Bundy and the one-man gang. Pretty damn awesome match there. Then we go to a huge show at the Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, 8-30-1987. Hulk Hogan defeats the one-man gang defending his WWF World Championship. Then we go to 9-15-1987 in a dark match, part of Superstars number 57 from Peoria, Illinois. Hogan defeats the one-man gang there. Then 9-21-1987, Hulk Hogan defeats the one-man gang. Excuse me, doesn't defeat him. It's a double countdown. Sorry about that. Double countdown at the Madison Square Garden in New York City, part of the WWE on MSG Network. So this was a Big, huge show, obviously, with a lot of TV eyes on a lot of eyeballs on it because it's on MSG, because it's in New York City. And him and Hogan go to a double count of three. Keep him strong. He's really only losing on the Paul Bosch show, which is taped. Everyone else is really a house show or, you know, quote unquote, live event now, as they say. So it's nothing really to kind of say, wow, one man gang is being killed off. He's being kept pretty strong unless you're seeing him on these house shows. So they're going to have a house show in Pittsburgh, PA. Hogan wins there. They're going to have a house show at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. Hogan wins again. Then the Winnipeg Arena in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Hogan wins there. 
Hogan versus One Man Gang in St. Paul, Minnesota. Again, goes to a double countout. Hogan defeats One Man Gang in Rochester, New York. Then he defeats him in Worcester, Mass. Then Hogan defeats him in Portland, Maine. Hogan also will lose at Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York, 11-6-1987 by DQ. So they're keeping them strong in, in these New York markets because they want to have these return matches that will draw even better and will draw a huge house, and everyone will be happy with them making a ton of money. Superstars number 66 taping the Veterans Moral Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa. Hogan defeats the one-man gang. Like I mentioned before, 11-26-1987, the Heenan family team, Andre, King Kong Bundy, Rick Rude, and then, of course, Butch Reed and One Man Gang, who aren't a member of the Heenan family, defeat Bam Bam Bigelow, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, Paul Ondorf, and Hulk Hogan, a part of the main event of Survivor Series 1987 from Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio. Of course, Andre the Giant gets the win for his team there. Then we go to our show in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Hogan defeats One Man Gang. We'll go to the Rosemont Horizon. In Rosemont, Illinois, a.k.a. Chicago, One Man Gang defeats Hulk Hogan by countout. That's 11-29-87. Then we go to the Prism Network, 12-5-1987. Hulk Hogan defeats One Man Gang in 11 minutes, of course, at the Philly Spectrum in Philly, PA. Then a part of a dark match taping in the Superstars number 69 in the Sundome in Tampa, Florida. Hogan defeats the One Man Gang. Then a huge house show. On 12-13-1987 at the Brendan Byrne Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, my backyard, my home away from home, Hogan defeats One Man Gang in the Steel Cage. Then we got Hogan defeating Gang at the Bigley Center in Youngstown, Ohio. Then two big matches in a row here, as we'll have the Toledo, Ohio 12-26-1987 WBF World Title Match with Nick Bockwinkel as the referee. Hogan defeats Gang there. Then the return match from the Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois. Like I just mentioned, One Man Gang had just beaten him by DQ. So this is the big return match. Nick Bockwinkel's the referee. Hogan gets the win here, and they do huge business there, of course. Then the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hogan defeats on um, One Man Gang in 12 minutes. Hogan will then defeat One Man Gang in Nashville, Tennessee. Hogan then defeats Gang in Seattle, Washington. And then the final one-on-one match that they had as one-man gang, 117-1988 from the Oakland Coliseum in Oakland, California. Hulk Hogan defeats one-man gang. So really cool stuff here as far as gang being a monster wrestling all over the place. In interviews with both Hogan and one-man gang, Hogan mentioned how easy gang was, never got hurt, never had to worry about anything. He was light as a feather, and he just loved working guys like that because he's worth a ton of money. And he's working sometimes two nights, two shots a night, and he's wrestling all over the place. And then they have him doing personal appearances. So you got to keep him healthy. You got to keep him happy. And working with monsters like One Man Gang, where it looks like he's killing you, but he's really not, is really effective for the Hulkster. And that's something that he really, really loved and really enjoyed. So really, the Twin Towers are born, and the One Man Gang turns into Akeem. You know, McMahon, watching the team dance, I realize there's even hope for you. If Slick can make a dancer out of a team, he can even do it for you. Now, from Africa, here for and forevermore, he will be known as a team. 
really work for this man. I like the hat. What do they call that, McMahon? I don't know. The tent-like looking thing on a game is known as a daishiki, I believe they call it. What is this? And who does the gang think he is? Akeem. He's not the gang anymore, he's Akeem. A slickster with Akeem. We had an occasion before the matchup this week to speak with Akeem. Hmm, look at that big tooth. Here are now the words of Akeem. Yo, brothers and sisters, this is Akeem talking to you. The Slickster finally showed me the light. I have been reborn, and I'm on my track through the WWF. This is Akeem, and don't forget it. <laughs> you know, he even talks like the Slickster now. What is he doing, the funky chicken in there? What do you call that? It's called rhythm, McMahon. You know, I almost view this as, as Slick kind of wrestling himself through a key. Wow. Nobody gets up after that. That was quick work. What is this? You know what it is? Slick needed a dancing partner, I think. There you see a king picking up Kimsey. Wham! Coming down with all his weight on And there's a little giant talking in the ring. September 1988 happens. One man gang's manager Slick announced that gang was actually African and planned to re-embrace his roots. On an episode of Superstars, which aired on September 24th, 1988, featuring a great vignette with Mean Gene Oakland on location in an American ghetto that they then dubbed the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. They had dancers dressing as tribal Africans. They're dancing around. They're chanting. They have a fire going. Slick announced that gang is now Akeem, the African gene. And Oakland immediately called him the, the one-man gang and was kind of, you know, seeming like he was against it. But the vignette obviously was showing that the Caucasian, the white, Akeem was delivering a promo in stereotypical jive fashion using a black accent, of course, was dancing around like he was the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. But there was an African ritual going in the background. Some obviously criticism nowadays, you'd never be able to get away with this. The crowd would be crying and the fans would definitely have a hard time buying this. But this is awesome. This is just great. Um, I loved every minute of this, every second of it. Slick is great. Akeem is great. I have an interview with Slick where we talk about it. And he was saying just just the transformation of this character had a comedic value to it, but also was so compelling that you were just so interested in what he was going to do next. When they team up and they put him and Big Boss Man together and they make them the Twin Towers, that's really kind of what takes him to the stratosphere and puts them into the main event scene in the WWF. Survivor Series 1988 rolls around and we have a huge main event the Mega Powers versus the Twin Towers, my favorite team of all time. Hogan, Savage, Coco Beware, Hillbilly Jim, and Hercules defeat King Haku, Ted DiBiase, Red Rooster, and the team captains, Akeem, and the big boss man. The match goes about 30 minutes. One of my favorite Survivor Series matches of all time. So much drama, so much intrigue, so much going on, so many great wrestlers. Everyone knew their place in the card. Everyone was kind of placed perfectly. 
and the winners were Hogan and Savage, the Mega Powers winning that Survivor Series match. The next match between Akeem and Hogan happens on Saturday night's main event number 19, 12 7, 1988 from the Sundome in Tampa. Hogan defeats Akeem by DQ there. Then, of course, the drama continues at Royal Rumble 1989 at the summit in Houston, Texas, 1 15, 1989. Big John Studd ends up winning this in a shocking fashion with really Akeem and Bossman doing a number on Hogan in this one and eliminating him, which was pretty damn shocking, but pretty impressive and really put the Twin Towers into the main event and into the next stratosphere. Like I mentioned, Big John Studd shockingly wins that one, eliminating Ted DiBiase last. They have a big-time house show, the Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Ontario, 129-1989. Hogan defeats Akeem there. Then, of course, what we talked about on the Macho Man Randy Savage episode, this is when the Mega Powers explode, 2-3-1989, WBF, the main event number two, from the Bradley Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The Mega Powers of Hogan and Savage defeat the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man in 22 minutes. This is a huge match with huge implications as the Mega Powers, after this match, after they win, would explode backstage. The last time they were really in the ring together, Hogan defeated everyone and wins the Royal Rumble 1990 from the Orlando Arena in Orlando, Florida. That was on 121.90. And that's really the last time Hogan and Hakeem had their matches together. It's interesting to just note and to throw out there that. Hogan wins 1990, he wins 91 as well, but Hakeem would really kind of slow it down and make his last appearance in 1990 for the WWF, losing in a Harlem street fight to Jake the Snake Roberts. That's part of the Hogan era. Little do people know that he had a few uh, dark matches, really one dark match in 1998. He defeated Flash Flanagan. It was a part of a shotgun Saturday night taping. And of course, he was a part of the gimmick battle royal WrestleMania 17. So with him and the WWF, quite a run. I mean, a lot of guys had some feuds with Hogan and they became monsters. You know, that they would have obviously face off again in WCW in, in 1996 and he'd have another run there. But the main feud here of the Hogan era was with one man gang and then a little bit, of course, of a feud with Akeem as well. He's one of those guys, he's just larger than life, had a great look, was a great monster, fit in that era with feuds with Hogan, like Andre, Bundy, Big John Stud, Boss Man, just fit in so perfectly, looked like a guy, there's no way Hogan could beat this guy's a monster, this guy's going to kill Hogan. And then, boom, the Hulkster sneaks out some victories over him. He did have some victories of the one man gang via count out and via DQ, but obviously not beating the Hogan, the Hulkster clean, but they did keep him very strong in the house show. And they did, like I mentioned, have over 20 matches, which means 20 sellouts, which means 20 great paydays for gang. When he became Akeem and they became the twin towers, that just kind of took him to another level that really put him in the main event. It made him a big part of Royal Rumble 89. made him the main eventer in survivor series, 88, the WWF main event, number two, and, of course, like I mentioned, Saturday Night's main event as well. So he became a big star and a big money player. Hogan loved working with him. He said he was so safe and so easy to work with. And those are the guys you got to love to work with. They're the Hulks, the guys that aren't going to hurt you, but they look like they're killing you. And he goes into that monster factory, that monster formula that seemed to just work so well for the Hulkster that he seemed so comfortable with. So for the Hulkster and for the Hogan era, one-man gang, another great feud, 
mostly a house show feud. And then, of course, the feud with Akeem was a big-time feud that we saw a lot of action on TV as well. So great stuff here as far as the Hogan Hour podcast. Before we go, let's talk about the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And, of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. like to thank everybody out there for listening, and we'll see you right back here next week for the Hogan Era Podcast. We'll see you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine, here's Update. All right, hi again, everyone. I'm Gene Okerlund. Last weekend, Hulk Hogan met the African Dream Akeem. Let's go to the footage, courtesy Saturday night's main event. Back into the corner now, and continues to hammer away. Oh, look at him now. He's really up there. Hulk Hogan hammering away on the near 500-pound Akeem. And Dave Hefner, the referee, doing the right thing. Akeem's in the ropes. He's yep. got and look, Matt Hogan on. Bossman is up for the third time on the apron. The third time now. Akeem ripped to the buckle. Here comes the holster with a close line. Oh, no, he pulled the referee. Akeem did. Akeem pulled the referee right into the line of fire. Look out from behind the Bossman. Bossman oh. hammering away with that Billy Club. Now the damage will be done. you got no referee. The referee has no knowledge that the Bossman's in the ring at this point. And Akeem and the Bossman, I'm sure on the Slickster's orders, Ooh. are going to do another number on Hogan. You know, you'd think Hogan had learned through experience, but obviously he ain't smart enough. Looks like an outside interference going on. Oh, yeah, it does to me, too. Well, you'll be okay, yeah. Ocho Man with a lot of confidence in the holster's ability, but I'm not, I'm really concerned, Jesse. You should be concerned. I don't care what kind of ability Hogan's got. In a one-on-one confrontation, Hogan may do just fine, but there's no way Hogan can beat both of these guys. Oh, no, look at this. A splash down to the chest area. And you know what's great about this whole thing, seen a thing, the referee. But unfortunately, Elizabeth has. She's seen every bit of it. Elizabeth now leaving the ringside area. Elizabeth headed back, I believe, to the dressing room area. And what's happening, man? The golden gets tough, the tough get going. Oh, another crushing blow. Confidence in him. Come on, Hulk. Come on, good man. Let's go. Do the thing right there. Elizabeth, what are you doing? They have to hurry. They're hurting him. No, no, no. He's going to be okay right here. He's going to be okay, Elizabeth. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, they're getting a little nervous right there. Come on, Hulk. Come on, Hulkster, yeah. Macho Man with a lot of confidence, maybe too much confidence in the Hulkster. And the Hulkster jumping out of the way that attempted splash moments ago. And Akeem, however, is still not letting up as Elizabeth makes her way back to the ringside area without the Macho Man. Well, it might be a smart move on Macho.
Hunter's part. If Macho jumps into the ring, McMahon, it's automatic disqualification. Oh, wait a minute. The big boss man has been up on the apron at least three or four times already in this match. Ah, but Hefner didn't see the damage that the boss man did. The referee did not see it. Saturday night's main event, I had to get the bottom line from Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man, Randy Savage, the Mega Powers. The body, mind, soul, the lovely Elizabeth, Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan, the Mega Power team are as one. We breathe the same air, drink the same water, sleep the same sleep, brother. Yeah. And as far as the Macho Man goes, everything that I felt out in the ring, he felt it too, brother, because we are as one. 
Mega Powers as one, and every time you got splashed, oh, it was like being shocked in the electric chair. Time and time again, the jolters went up, up, up. How about every the stick? In the back of the neck, my neck hurt. Yeah, yeah. In the lower back, my lower back hurt. In your arm, your elbow, all over you. One. But when they handcuffed Elizabeth, yeah, when they handcuffed her around her wrist, there was the pain went to my neck. So I felt it in the ring. I felt it in the ring. I felt like I was being choked off too when they got her. Something right now. The mega powers, we feel the same pain and the glory. The glory happens together. We're together all the way.